Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Living with Amuna. Our uh, series is very generously sponsored by Drs. Avi and Bella Morgan in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Gabbard, whose Yurit site, third Yurit site, is tomorrow night and Friday, the 8th of uh, Av. Continue to uh, think about him and learn from him. It was an incredible example of Living with Amuna. It's appropriate. We're so grateful to the Morgans for sponsoring in his memory. Also in memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Chance, this morning's year. Is sponsored by uh, Sarah Margulies in memory of her father, Mayor Fain, whose year it said is the 4th of Av. Very, very grateful to uh, Sarah for that. Thank you so very much. Um, just a housekeeping note, we will be off for the next few weeks, so please pay attention to when we will resume. You will know based on the uh, email or the show weekly, or if you're in the WhatsApp group that announces the shear and what room it's in, and we'll let you know when we resume. You can catch up on previous ones that you've missed. I think we're at... I don't know how many, but many. So you can uh, review or chazer or take time off and live without Amuna for a few weeks. Just joking, chas v'shalom. God forbid a Jew could never live without Amuna. Not for one day, not for one moment. We couldn't get through one day at all. So we are in this text, Be'amdur HaChachar V'chemayim Morgenstern, not the safer we had been learning. Baruch Hashem, the Tzaddik's Torah has really been proliferating. More and more of his uh, books have been published on a regular basis, and this, you may wonder why, is this on Pesach, Svira, Somer, and Lag Ba'omer. Why are we learning that on Erev Tishabav? Because a uh, chapter that he has on here, I think is very relevant to the time of year in which we find ourselves, and to a mindset in which many find themselves. But before we dive back into where we left off, I just want to thank, the other day I had a uh, frustrating day, frustrating meeting, and somebody who uh, listens and participates in our shir, I think she may be watching right now, with her uh, daughter, sent me an email. She was at that meeting, and she basically said, don't sweat it, and then she reminded me, Rabbi, turn the page, new page. Turn the page, fresh start, moda'ani. So I'm very grateful to her for her positivity and her positive feedback, and for reminding me that you gotta practice what you preach. It's easy to talk, it's a lot harder to do, and uh, Baruch Hashem, that's why it's a support group, and we do it together. I happen to be on the side of the camera, sitting up here, but really we're all in it together, and I think when it comes to all of Yiddishkeit, all of Torah and mitzvahs, all of meaningful living, but Amuna in particular, it takes, it takes a group effort. It takes reinforcing and supporting one another. It takes reminding one another because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to go back into the mode of thinking we're in charge or we're in control or getting frustrated or disappointed. It's so easy to slip into that negative place. So to know that we have a spotter, you know, you go work out in the gym, working out the neshama is no different. And here, of course, I'm not speaking from personal experience, but I understand that when you work out of the gym, if you lift weights, often you need a spotter. You need that person to make sure you're not gonna get crushed by the weight of the level that you're trying to lift. You wanna make sure that you're doing it correctly, that you're not gonna injure yourself. You wanna make sure that you remember to lift and you don't fall asleep while lying on the bench press best, uh, on the bench press bench. So you need a spotter. You need a buddy in the gym who's gonna help you. The spiritual gym of life, you need a spotter. You need to make sure we won't get crushed by our ambition, try to lift more than we can, than we uh, have the strength to lift. We want to make sure we don't fall asleep on the spiritual bench press bench of life. We want to make sure that we have people around us. So big gratitude to that person. I thank her for always her positivity, in particular that reminder. And our notebooks are at the printer, and please God, we'll be here soon. Our Moda'ani, turn the page. Thank Hashem for a new day. Notebooks will please God be here uh, soon. Okay, so back in where we left off. We're learning about Darcha Avoda Bekatnas. 
We read the introduction just to remind you in case you weren't here. We gave it four different names, but really all describing the same phenomenon, which is at times we're on fire with Amuna. At times we feel connected and close and plugged in, high-speed connection with Hashem. Davening flows. We can't wait for the next opportunity to talk to Him. Amuna, oh, He's all around us. And other times we feel disconnected. Where is He? Why is this happening? Is He even listening? What's going on in my life? So this is called Achor V'Kedem, our back and our front, His back and front, Panim V'Achor. It's called also Ratz V'Shov, going forward and backwards, the ups and downs of life. It's called Godless V'Katnas, expansion and reduction. It's called uh, all these different names. All these different names reflect the same phenomenon of that feeling. And the first thing we did, what we covered last week, was simply validating that that's okay and that that's normal. We spoke about Avavim Shor's metaphor of a person's EKG. You just want to be a flat line. You say, I just want to be steady Eddie. I just want menuchas nefesh. I just want to be able to feel serenity and tranquility. I just want to plug into Hashem and just stay there with no static and no interruption and no noise. But an EKG is flat, what does it mean? You're dead. If you're alive, an EKG by definition is ups and downs. And our neshama, our spirit, and our amuna, and our bitachon, and our connection to Hashem, if you flatlined, you're dead. If you're really alive, it means there's ups and downs. It's built into the Bria. That's part of the definition of creation. And the way that we know that, Tzadavich is the Chayas HaKodesh, the Ofanim, the Malachim, the very angels and celestial beings who don't struggle and are born without challenge and to a degree have a sense of perfection, they also have this notion of the back and forward, the up and down. It means it's built into the Bria. We mentioned you see that in every form of the Bria, every part of life, the vegetative world too. Look at a field and look at plants and vegetation. You plant and it blossoms and it grows, but then there's a period in which it dies and it lays fallow and that's necessary for the cycle of the field. And our life operates in a cycle much like that field. There are times that we blossom and we grow and we're sprouting and we're everywhere. And it's lost pastures and it's covered in different color. And there are times that it is empty and barren and fallow and dead and seems to be dried out. That cycle of the field is our cycle in life. Ratzav Ashov, Panam Vachor, it's all the same. Godless and Katnas, it's all the same. But why? Why did Hashem create the world in that way? And why are we in that place right now, these three weeks, these nine days, Tishabov? Could you get more empty and barren? Could you have a further sense, a greater sense of katnus and the fact that this Motzei Shabbos, we're going to be sitting on the floor, crying and grieving over the calamities of history, not only the collective national ones, but the individual personal ones, which also all stem from Churban Beis HaMikdash, from Silo Kashchin, the fact that Hashem's divine presence is not felt, His divine protection is not immediately over us. The result of that are the tragedies that we suffer and that we see. We're going to sit on the floor reflecting on our katnas. We're going to sit on the floor reflecting on our un- unworthiness, how small we are, how inconsequential we are. We're going to bemoan and we're going to grieve. I'll give you a little preview. I say it every year at Kinos. You might say, how do I tap into and connect to a loss 2,000 years ago. You know, if someone says to you, today's the yurt site of your great, great, great grandmother. Cry. Say, cry. What's her name again? <laughs> cry? Tell, tell me something about her? Is anyone named after her that I know? I don't know anything about it. Do we have a picture? Did she paint anything? we have a diary? Give me something. 
It's very hard to mourn and grieve and cry over something you didn't know, someone you didn't know. None of us, none of us were alive for the Beis HaMikdash. None of us knew what it was. None of us feel it missing. So how do you cry? So every year I suggest that part of our tears, part of the driver, the motivation of our tears, part of what we're sitting shiva, what we're feeling and grieving a loss of is ourselves. Tisha B'Av, we look at that last year and we say, wow, how much time did I waste? How much energy did I waste? How many resources did I waste? The Gros famous insight on Did Mecheshbon. The Gros says, you know, we say, the Mishnah of us tells us that we should always be acutely aware before whom we are going to have to give a din and a cheshbon. Din means judgment. Cheshbon means an accounting. What's the difference between judgment and an accounting? You owe the IRS your accounting, and if you didn't do it or didn't do it correctly, there'll be a judgment. But they're the same thing. You're judged for the accounting. What's the difference between a judgment and an accounting? The Vilna Gon, the Gra, has a magnificent insight. He says, you know what the difference is? One is where you went wrong. The other, what you could have done right. Every time we did something wrong, there was a moment, there was an opportunity, there was energy that was used that could have been something right. Every time we spoke and we said Lashon Hara, we could have been offering a compliment. Every time we spoke and we offered a criticism, we could have been making a shidduch. We could have been offering a tefillah. We could have been lifting someone's spirits. So therefore there's a dual guilt with each mistake we make. What we did wrong, which we'll be judged for, but also an accounting of what we could have done right in that same time period. So in Elul, we're gonna focus, Rosh Yom Kippur is godless Adam. Yom Kippur and Tisha B'av are two sides of the same coin. Yom Kippur is, we wear white, we're angelic. Who needs food? Who needs leather shoes? Who needs physical pleasure? We're angels for a day walking on earth. Ma'at, v'atachasreyo ma'at me'elokim, David HaMelech and Tilim says, just a little bit below angels. We're a little bit below God. We're angelic on Yom Kippur. For 25 hours, we live as if we are not grounded here on earth, but we live like we are in the heavens, like we're angels. The greatness, possibility, potential. We live the best of who we could be. But Tisha B'Av is the opposite. Sit on the ground, you lowly, worthless, Eisvav, reject. Look at how low you've fallen. You're not a little less than God. You're barely a little above an animal, an ant, an iguana, a lizard. So sit among them. Sit on the floor with the lizards and the iguanas because that's all you are. That's all we'll be is worm food one day. Look at how much time we waste. Look at the Yitzhahara we give in to. Look at how we can't stop fighting and judging and marginalizing and criticizing one another, which is the root of it all and why we're not yet in the Beis HaMikdash. So this is a time of the year where we're feeling our katnas, the katnas. We feel very small. We feel very small. Now, even a Yid can't do that for very long. So by Chatzos already, we stand up and we sit in a chair. Even a Jew can't sit on the floor. It's the Shifla Sa'adam, that lowliness, you know, we got to get back to our godless. We got to get back to our greatness and our potential and who we could be. So a Jew doesn't sit on the floor for very long, just half a day. By chatzos already, get up, sit in a chair. We're on our way back. We're on our way back, storming back with Tubav, one of the happiest days on our calendar and rolling right into Elul with godless Adam, the greatness of who we could be. But that's exactly this rhythm, this pattern is that sometimes in order to get to the place of godless, you got to pass through katnas. Sometimes in order to be Ratzah, you gotta be Shav. Sometimes in order to see Kedem, you gotta go Achor. 
Sometimes in order to break out with the best of who we could be, to see our potential and our greatness, you gotta hit that rock bottom. You gotta feel that humility, modesty, and lowliness. You gotta be able to find God even when things are going wrong, not only when they're going, not only when they're going right. So why? Why did he create the world like that? Why are there the ups and downs? Why can't we flatline even while we're alive? Why does being alive have to mean ups and downs? You get whiplash, spiritual and emotional whiplash in life, these ups and downs. We have these kufas, I'm in and I'm out, I'm connected, I'm disconnected. And if we're honest, hopefully they're, you know, they're regulated. You don't want, I don't know how to read an EKG, but in the stock market, you don't want enormous swings up and down. You want them to be moderated, small, ups and down, and you want them to always trend up. So little ups and downs, but trending up. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's the truth of all of our relationships in life. If we're honest, there are moments where our children are the apple of our eye. They could do no wrong. They're the cutest and sweetest, and their shortcomings are adorable idiosyncrasies, and we have all the patience, and we're just so grateful that they're here. We just want to hug them and smother them with kisses and tolerate everything. That, and there are other times that not so much. We'll just leave it at that. Not so much. And you have to remember, oh yeah, I'm supposed to love them. They're my children. I have to see the best in them. I have to believe in them. And there are times even in marriage, there's ruts of a shove. In marriage, there's katless and godless. There's moments where you just, you're, you're resentful that there's no better word than love for how you feel. It just doesn't capture it. I just feel so connected and intertwined and how you are echad and we're two halves becoming a whole and we're so, ah. Oh. And there are other moments that are, we're gonna work this through. But right now, I don't feel so connected. It's the nature of every relationship. But why? Why? Omek v'shorah sha'inyan. We're on page Kuf Samech Aleph, 161 in Bayam Derechecha on Pesach. What? Yes, on Pesach. Page 161. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shehakol Nye Bidvara Thank you, Nancy. Omek v'shorah sha'inyan v'kiyatsa matziyas hanivra mechayev ashiyu b'oshnei matzavim. The reality is being a member of creation, being a part of the Nivra party. What is a Nivra? Created among those who are created. A Bore, what's a Bore? A creator. Kodesh Baruch is the Bore. The Almighty is the creator. We are the Nivra. We are the created. Being created means that you're living two matzavim, two circumstances simultaneously. On the one hand, when you are created, you are an existence on your own. Thank you, Shkoyach, for bringing me into being. But now that I'm here, I'm me. Now that I'm here, I'm independent. Now that I'm here, I have a personality and I have a reality. But that is a contradiction and a conflict with God. Because... When we live here in the world, when we live here on earth, and we present and we perceive this illusion that we are independent creations, but now operating on our own, that as if places a distance between us and Hashem, as if He didn't create us, as if He doesn't, as if he doesn't have to still will our being. Kiviyachal, it makes us look like we are nifrad mehabore. Thank you, Shkayach, you got me started. But now that I'm here, I got it. I got it from here. I'll take it from here, God. You go back to whatever you were doing. Go take care of other people. Go create another world. 
you go focus on other things, you brought me into this world, I got it. Now I've got it. Mitzad Shemi, Davka Idea Nivra, but on the other hand, specifically because we're a member of creation, realize, wow, where did I come from? How did I come to be? Why is it I woke up this morning and I'm alive? How is there breath, breath in my lungs and blood flowing through my veins? There's a bore, there's a creator, there's someone, something so much bigger than myself who's running this world, who wills my existence. Because if you're created, then by definition there is a creator. That's one of the arguments for the existence of God. We've spoken about it in the past, I think towards the beginning of Living with Amuna. I gave you everything I had from my introduction to philosophy class in college. St. Thomas Aquinas is evidence of God's existence and the first cause evidence of God's existence. Do we really need evidence? Is there overwhelming evidence? We analyzed all of that early on. You can review over the next few weeks. But one of the arguments for God's existence is that if there are created, there is a creator. The third law of thermodynamics, that order turns to disorder. So whenever you see disorder turn to order, what does it mean? Meaning the natural law of thermodynamics is that order turns to disorder. There is decay, there's death, this coffee will get cold because the water molecules will spread out and the heat will diminish. Order goes to disorder. That's why things rot and they spoil. That's why people age and die. Order goes to disorder. That's the natural order. So what happens when you see the opposite? When you see disorder go to order, what do you know? When you see materials turn into a house, you see paints on a canvas turn into a painting, you see ink on a page turn into words and sentences and a book. When you see a block of marble turns into a sculpture, what does it mean? There was a creator, someone did it. It didn't happen on its own because it doesn't happen on its own. Left alone, order goes to disorder. Left alone, it would go in the opposite direction. So whenever you see disorder turn to order, you know there's a God. This is the most simplistic argument for God's existence. Also, probably the most compelling. Because if you'd sit in this room and I'd say to you, see this book, this paper? Ha, you're not going to believe it. I had a bottle of ink and there was a blank paper and I knocked it over and look, words. You'd say, come on, what are the chances? What are you talking about? Impossible. You see this building we're sitting in, this room we're in? You won't believe it. There was a pile of delivery that came from Home Depot, from Lowe's, and there was a hurricane and it whipped everything together and now we're in this, isn't it amazing? You'd say, impossible, never happened. It's the watchmaker argument also. See the watch with all the dials and all the, everything that goes into the watch? It just came to be. You'd say, impossible. I say, oh, you see this human being? A factory, takes in food, eliminates food, holds the nutrients, has the capacity for reproduction, has a brain, thought, mindfulness. You see it? Just came to be. Yeah, that's possible. I believe that. <laughs> that's where you draw the line. The human being is the most complex creation. Much more than a piece of paper with words or a building or a sculpture or a painting. But the human being, we're able to say, yeah, it's just chance. There was a big bang. There's a creator. If you see created, there's a creator. So therefore, we live our lives knowing both of these truths simultaneously. On the one hand, as a member of the Nivra, as a member of creation, I feel, okay, I'm created, good, shine. But now I'm on my own. Now I'm independent. Now I've got it from here. Now, thank you, God, I've moved on. But simultaneously, I realize I'm mindful of 
Well, if I'm a member of creation, if I'm created, what does that mean? I have a creator. There is a creator to whom I owe everything and who's still involved in my life, who's my makor, who's the source of my life. And just like he originally created me then, he continues to will me now. Because what's the reason? What determines? If I get hit by a car, die in my sleep, have a massive heart attack and drop dead, why are we here? Not everybody is. And what merit? Who determines? Who decides? It's only the goodness and the graciousness of God that we woke up this morning. He says in the footnote, We know that we don't have existence that is on our own. How do you know that? Because before God's kindness to create you, you didn't exist. So there's no part of your existence that you could claim is really entirely independent. This is deep stuff. Hope I, had, hope you had your cup of coffee. There's no part of existence that we can claim is really fully independent. Why? Because before we were created, we didn't exist. So clearly we depend on and rely on entirely Him. And He wills us to continue to be here. I've told you before the mushal of the Balatanya. The Balatanya says, everybody close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to picture a red Ferrari, Lamborghini, whatever sports car of your choice. You see it? You see the hood, you see the rearview mirrors, you see the logo on the cover, on the front, you see the trunk. Some of you can't close your eyes. Too scared, what you might see. You see it? Yeah. Bright red, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Nobody's lying on top of it, it's just a blank car. You see the car? Yeah. Good, now open your eyes, and now start thinking about the cup of coffee. The taste, the color. Are you still, does the car still exist? Yeah. No. The car is in your imagination. When does it exist? When you imagine it. The moment you stop imagining it, it doesn't exist. The Balatanya doesn't talk about a red sports car, but he does say that we are the imagination of Hashem. This entire world is a matrix, it's an illusion. We think it exists, but it is simply the will, the imagination of Hashem. When he continues to imagine us, we are here. If he would cease or stop to imagine us, we would disappear. Which means that every moment of existence, we only exist because he continues to will our existence. If he'd get distracted, of course he can't, he's the omnipotent, almighty, infinite, melech ma'achei hamlachem. But kiviachal, if he'd get distracted, if he'd want a cup of coffee, if he'd think about something else, then we would, poof, we'd cease to exist. We only exist because He wills our existence. We are the image in His imagination, much like the sports car was for you. And the moment, you, in these last two minutes that you stop thinking about it, it doesn't exist anywhere. The same is true with Hashem. So we have these two realities at the same time. On the one hand, I feel, Shkoyach, you got me started, thank you. But here I am now, I'm good, I got it. I'm independent of you. On the other, if we stop and pause and think about it, we realize if we're honest with ourselves, can never be independent. We only exist because He wills it. We never existed before He created us. And therefore we have two realities. So when I focus on God, I only exist because of your will. I am your agent and ambassador here on earth. I am your shliach, I am your messenger to help repair and mold and shape your world in your image the way you want. 
I feel so deeply connected, intimately integrated with you. That's what's called panim, face to face. That's what's called kedem. That's what's called I'm moving forward. That's what's called godless, expansiveness, growing. When I'm in that state of Hashem, oh, I love you, I feel you. Every breath in my lungs. It's not that my neshama is calling out and praising you. Neshama's breath. With every breath, my neshama praises you, Hashem. I feel you. We talked about this a lot during Corona, which was a respiratory disease, and people were put on, on uh, ventilators. And, and how grateful and appreciative we should be. Every breath in our lungs, every breath we take, every breath is a testament to Hashem willing us to exist. That's how He first brought us into this world. He breathed life into us. And with every breath we take, we restore our neshama. And that's why not kol haneshama ta'alaka, kol haneshima ta'alaka. So on the one hand, Hashem, I feel you. Every breath, you're with me. And I'm your agent, I'm your ambassador. I'm here to serve you. How can we take on your world today? That's godless. I'm growing, I'm expanding, I'm running, I'm making progress. But sometimes we wake up in the opposite. Sometimes you say, Hashem, if you don't mind, I've got some personal things to tend to today. Hashem, today's about me, my existence, my happiness, my comfort, my convenience, my indulgence, my existence. You go take care of you and your existence. I got me. Independent. My existence, my happiness, my priorities, my wants, my needs. <laughs> now instead of being face to face, we're back to back, heading in different directions. Katnas, small. Instead of expanding, I'm consolidating, condensing. Because the moment that you disengage and disconnect, the moment you feel independent and on your own, the moment you stop with every breath realizing it's only the graciousness and goodness of God, zekatnas, that's smallness, that's smallness. It's a small way of thinking, it's a small way of being, and it's a small feeling to have. It's adolescence. It's rebelliousness. We all went through it. Maybe we have kids now going through it or grandchildren going through it. What is katnas? What is a katan? What is a minor? Don't tell me what time I can go to sleep and don't tell me how to think and I'm on my own and I see things the way I want to see it and who are you to tell me I'm my own person. By the way, can I have some money? I want to go to the mall. But <laughs> I'm my own person and I'm my own. That's the way a katan thinks. Adolescent, immature, undeveloped adolescent, a cotton, thinks, I'm my own, don't tell me how to think and how to be and what to do, and I don't need you. Except that what? They entirely need you. And they utterly need you. But then what happens? Ironically, ironically, the more independent you get, the more you're appreciative of your parents who brought you into this world. Ironically. You'd think the more independent you become, the more educated, and the more you're on your own, the more you earn your own living, the more you build your own family, you say, you know, mom and dad, thank you, you got me started, I haven't needed you since I was 13, I'm good to go now, I've surpassed you in every which way, but we feel the opposite. You feel the opposite. When you become a gadol, when you become mature, you say, you know what? 
No matter what I have or who I have or what I am, no matter how it compares or competes with you, none of it would be here without you. You brought me into this world and you changed my diapers and you put me in school and you got me started and you paid my tuition and you continue to love me and shower me and protect me and inspire me and guide me and I'm nothing without you. It's counterintuitive. It's backwards. But that's a katan versus a gadol. And what's true in our relationship with our parents is true in our relationship with Hashem. When you're in that place of ani, ego, me, I, I take credit, I take responsibility, I'm in control, I micromanage life. Yeshus, I'm a yesh, I exist, I'm a somebody. Then, I've pushed myself away from Hashem, I'm a katan. So we have these periods of katnas and gadlas. Why do we have them? On the one hand, you're receiving and receiving and receiving, but you have no recognition and no acknowledgement of who's giving. You're getting and getting and getting. There's absolutely no recognition or acknowledgement of who's giving. So this is this tension that every member of creation lives with by definition and by simple, by virtue of being a member of creation. Simultaneously, there's competing feelings of being a nivra. On the one hand, on the one hand, I'm independent, I'm created, now I exist. Let me go, let me roar, let me fly, let me soar. But on the other hand, I'm a nivra, I'm created. If I'm created, it means what? I have a creator. I have to acknowledge, I have to appreciate, I have to connect. So why don't we just have one without the other? We can't. They're both built in, they're both realities of being a nivra, a created. And that's why you have ups and downs. And that's why they have ups and downs. If you think about it, he doesn't spell this out, Richemeyer, but it's true in our other relationships as well. Why does it happen in marriage? Why does it even happen with children? Why does it happen in all our relationships? There's ruts of a shove, there's running to and closeness and romance and connection and to us being a whole and can't imagine life without you and you complete me and blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah. There's that. And then there's other moments that are like, oh, I can't breathe and just let me be and I, we don't see eye to eye and I don't feel connected at all right now. I don't even recognize you. We're madly in love and it'll be okay in an hour, but right now in this particular conversation, I don't even know who you are. Why does that happen? For these same two reasons. In marriage in particular, because you feel, on the one hand, you say, we're two halves that became a whole. We're one. That's godless. The godless of our perception of our marriage, the greatness, in the moments of greatness in marriage, there is no I, independent of us. There's just us. Our lives are so connected, integrated, don't worry about it. Our lives are so integrated, they're so connected, they're so overlapping. Our souls were, were destined to be together. We're reuniting to become one. In those moments, it's godless. It's panam al panam. But then there are moments of katless. Why? Because I remember, you know, you existed and I existed before we stood under the chuppah. We were raised by different sets of parents and different backgrounds, went to different schools. We have different opinions. So in marriage, there's a sense of, on the one hand, dependence and independence. There's a sense of coming together, but also being apart. There's a sense of two halves becoming a whole, but I also have my own identity. And how do you juggle and balance that? Soloveitchik has a magnificent essay on this about marriage, about in marriage not forfeiting your individuality and identity, but simultaneously 
blending and becoming one. How do you do that? How do you do that? This is not a Shalom Bayez talk, so it's not for now. It's a mistake. A marriage that demands a blurring of individuality is an unhealthy marriage. But a marriage which is two peoples, two individuals, just happening to, in a corporate sense, live together and divide the chores is also not a marriage. Marriage demands the balance of the two. It's Ratzah B'Shov, it's Panam B'Kedem, Panam B'Achor. It's the same phenomenon. Parents and children, it's the same thing. On the one hand, you are me. You know, a mother can say, you literally, I'm the factory that produced you. You are manufactured inside of me. You are an extension of me. There used to be a cord. For some people, it continues long after birth. But there was a cord that you were nourished through and that once connected us. On the other hand, I'm not defined by your actions anymore. Children grow up and they make choices for themselves. And sadly, in our time, I've counseled more and more people in this way whose children are making radically different decisions than they would necessarily make or want made from their religious lifestyle to whom they marry to choices about their own orientation or identity or gender. There's more and more going on. And how do parents, how do parents deal with that? Who on the one hand feel my child is me. This choice, this lifestyle, it's me. But on the other hand need to know, no, it's not. Yes, you are the bore in this case, they're the nivra. And yes, they owe who they are, their existence to you, but now they're independent and they're making a choice and it doesn't have to reflect on you or define you. There's a you independent of the choice of your child. Complicated issues. But this is a reality that's built into the fabric of creation that is about our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. And it's by definition. Because the world is designed in such a way that there are creators and created we definition, therefore, by definition, we have these two matzavim, these two realities. On the one hand, feeling connected, godless. On the other hand, feeling katnas. Ratzah, running to, running to, and shov, retreat. A little, I need some space. Panem, face to face, intimate, and achor, back to back, not heading in the same direction. That natural up and down is built into creation because of this reason. So therefore, in life, we will live through these rhythms. In our marriage, in our parenting, and in our relationship with Hashem, by definition, we will endure and persevere, and we are destined to live through these ups and downs, and through these cycles and rhythms. The revelation of God, and His hiddenness. So therefore, in every created and every receiver, yesh as matzavim matzavim these are established in the creation. So the first thing is that we, last week, we acknowledged it, we validated it. We don't have to feel bad. It's not just you. It's not just me. Have ups and downs. It's not just you or me in marriage and with our children and with Hashem and in life. None of us are flatlined, we'd be dead. All of us are ups and downs. It's not just you or me. It is built into creation. Your marriage is not bad if you have ups and downs. Your relationship with Hashem is not bad if you have feelings of being connected and disconnected. That is by design. Don't feel bad, don't beat yourself up, don't feel guilt, don't feel shame. That is the way the world was created. Good, point number one. Point number two, why? Why is that the way the world was created? Because we're a nivra, 
And by definition, if you're a nivra, if you're created, you'll live with those two components. Created, being an extension of another, brings about those two realities. Sometimes feeling independent, sometimes <coughs> dependent. Sometimes entirely integrated, sometimes apart. Sometimes running two, sometimes needing some space and being away. That was point number two. Philosophically, why that is definitional to being creation. Point number three, which we'll get to in a few weeks from now, we're taking off a few weeks, is good. Now what? Now what? How do you serve Hashem in godless? That's almost easy. It's not easy, but it's almost easy. Oh, he's everywhere. Every breath, isn't he amazing? And I love him. Fantastic. When you're in love and your marriage and romance and cards and thinking about you and texting you and I can't stand being away from you and all I do is think of it. Okay, wonderful. But what does your marriage look like in the days of Katnas? What does your marriage to Hashem look like in the days of Katnas? How do you continue to connect with your children in days of Katnas, of Achor, of Shav, of retreat, of needing space, of feeling small? What's the Avoda? How do we serve in those moments? How do you say I love you when you don't feel it? Should you say I love you when you don't feel it? I'll leave you with that question to ponder for the next few weeks. It's a good question in marriage. Some marriages, someone will say, say I love you. I can't say it now. I don't feel it right now. Or do you say I love you because there's a value to keeping the communication of I love you open and the, the backdrop, the power level of I love you changes, but the I love you has to be consistent. Should you say I love you even if you don't feel it in that moment? To your child, to your spouse, to Hashem? Which is really the question, should you daven when you don't feel like it? They put it differently. Is there a value to an I love you when you don't feel it? Is there a value to a davening when you don't feel connected? What does the avoda in the days of katnas look like? For that and more, stay tuned next time that we are together. Bat Galim and Ophir Sha'er are our guests on Behind the Bima tonight. Their son, Gilad, was kidnapped and murdered several summers ago. You remember the three boys? They are our guests behind the Bima tonight at 9 p.m. Enjoy the next few weeks of a break from me, but not a break from him. Continue to live with Amuna. Till next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy. <laughs>